Well, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the expectations towards the promised coming of, we know, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but the Savior of mankind. And it's the Advent season if you haven't figured it out again. I said this last week, all the lights, all the things, all the, the lights re representing the, the light of the world, the evergreen trees representing nothing that fades away. It's, it's always there. Or celebrating, celebrating the incarnation. God taking flesh. And we know that this happened two millennia ago. For those of you who don't know what a millennia is, I'm sorry. I wouldn't have known either for, you know, for, you know it's a thousand years, a thousand years, two millennia, two thousand years ago, Christ came to earth. But long before that, he was prophesied that he would come. A child would come and be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And speaking of a child, okay, so we look at this and go, why is this child, why would this child be any different than any of the other millions that have ever been born? Why would that child be different? Why would he be different than all the other innumerable childs, ch childs, children, I can't speak, that were born at that time in Israel? What difference would this child make to those waiting then or waiting for him during that time when he was born and maybe for us? Okay, we want to know, why, right? Why would it make a difference for us? Us in the future. The answer to those questions simply comes in from understanding what's in a name. What's in a name? Understanding who this child would be and what this baby would accomplish. And we're told this in Isaiah chapter 9. I invite you to turn there. Click there, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you should have one in front of you. It's a blue one, and I'll even give you the page number. It's 573. But while you're getting there, it's just the Word of God explains to us what God wants us to know, not what we want to make up. We want a God in our own image. Often, we want a God that we can maybe put in a box, maybe put in a manger, and keep him there because he's safe. But the Word of God tells us who he really is. I would ask you to stand with me. Out of respect to the Word of God, as I read today's passage, Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 7, even though we're going to concentrate on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. The Word of the Lord says, But there will be no gloom from her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest 
as they were glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of this burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of trampling, warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And our verse where we're given the four names. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God bless the reading of his word. May we draw strength and comfort from it as, we get, as it gives us reason to live at this time. Please be seated. Well, two weeks ago, we began in the series, uh, in a series that, taken from Isaiah chapter 9, what's in a name? It's understanding, again, what these names, these characteristics, these attributes of God, what they are. Names that describe the promised son's attributes. In chapter 7, we saw and we sang this morning, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. We knew that this son coming, okay, God with us, that means his blessings upon us, but this son would be God with us. We see, we truly see this in chapter 9. He's not only God with us, but he is God for us. The first name of chapter 9, verse 6, we see is wonderful counselor. That just doesn't mean that, oh, he's, he's so neat. I want to go see him. I'd love to lay on his couch and have him diagnose me. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that he is a counselor of divine origin. He has a plan. And this plan... It's something that we would have never thought of. No human being would come up with this. And it began before eternity. The counselor has wisdom beyond any human counselor. This counselor is divine. The second name, Mighty God, is one that makes his first name, what he says, possible. Because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, and sovereign over all things, he's able to execute this plan. It will happen. And today, we come to the third name in the verse 6, Everlasting Father. As with the first two names, we're going to discover what, it, what does it mean and why does it matter. And as promised, we begin by understanding what does it mean Simply just two titles. What does it mean? Why does it matter? Well, what does it mean? First, what it doesn't mean. If we would look at this, and we're looking at this from a New Testament perspective, we're going, well, we know that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's the triune God. That's, is this 
talking about the first person of the Trinity. No, it is not. No, it is not talking about that. What have we learned so far? What have we been talking about for the last two weeks and then today as well? It is a characteristic. It is a characteristic of what this man, what this child, what this son who will be given, it's the qualities of the Messiah regarding his people. It is how he will treat his flock, so to speak. We need to think of the Savior in a way that as a good father treats his children and as a good king would treat his people. Hear me again. It speaks of his characteristics, not to him being the first person of the triune Godhead. Second, everlasting. Even though he is eternal, and we saw that last week in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the adjective everlasting is speaking of a never-ending nature of his care towards those who are his and who will become his. His care is never-ending. It won't quit. A preacher named Ray Pritchard speaks of these truths this way. He, speaking of Jesus, and I quote, He is before, above, and beyond time. He is the possessor of eternity. He is eternally like a father to his people. This is not a statement about the Trinity, but of the character of our Lord. All that a good father is, Jesus is to his people. And I believe that it simply could be, we could understand it this way. He is our forever father. Forever father. Close quote. He isn't ever going to leave home. He's not going to leave his kids as orphans. He's not going to treat his family unfairly. He is a good, good father. He is the everlasting father. Last week, to explain what does it mean, we went through the Gospel of John. Aren't you glad you weren't here last week? Because it, it took us like four hours to get through it. I, no, it didn't. I'm just kidding. We went through chapters 1 through 20, though. We told the story, except how I wanted to, how Jesus proved he was the I am. He was the, ever, he was the mighty God. Well, we're going to spend our time in one spot this morning, so your, your fingers aren't going to get tired by leafing through pages. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, page 502 on your blue Bibles if you need. And simply it can be broken up this way. We're going to look at the three characteristics of the everlasting Father and before I begin to say anything more, those of you who are here and some of you who might be within the sound of my voice, when I mention Father, it could possibly bring some dark times. That is, if, if you don't know, if you were blessed enough to 
grow up and have a father who was good to you. That is a major obstacle of many folks who have grown up with a father who, that, who was abusive, who was hateful. I'm sorry for that. But our God is good. But this everlasting father, the forever, forever father, is good, he's caring, he's understanding, he's kind, he loves his kids. Are you at Psalm 103 yet? Look at verse 13 to begin with. Verse 13, which is, I would say, the, the keystone, the cornerstone of our teaching from this psalm this morning. This is how the Son who is given to us, the Messiah, relates to his own. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Wow, shows compassion. The old King James translates compassion this way. Pitieth. Kind of cool, huh? Pitieth. We don't hear that word very often anymore. I, that's, I hadn't heard it since I looked back at the Bible version. But it shows care and concern that a parent has for their own children, their own kids. They pity them. They hurt for them. They love them. The Hebrew word translated compassion, rahem, comes, from us, comes to us from the word womb. The womb. It is a parental thing. It's like a, okay, we almost go, a mother loves her kid. Now, we as parents, we view our kids differently. And, and what I'm saying is, I view my children a little differently than I view yours. Sometimes I like yours better. I'm, I'm only saying that because I know my son's back there, so I'm just... <laughs> no, we don't. We, we love our kids. We see them. We want to the, them to succeed. And it isn't like your neighbor's kid. You got me, oh, you know what? That's, that's neat that they're, they're doing well. I'm, I'm enjoying that. I, I'm glad that they're, they're getting married. Well, that's awesome. Well, oh, they're going to have it. Oh, you've got a new job. Well, isn't that great? That's little Johnny. I mean, well, that's little Johnny. Now he's little Johnny here. It's, it's a good thing. But you don't have the same interest, the same longing, the same desires, the same heartache that you do for someone else's child. You just have more empathy for your own children. And that's how Jesus sees you. That's how the everlasting Father sees you. The first truth we find concerning the everlasting Father is He forgives completely. Forgives completely. He doesn't just partially forgive. He doesn't say, here you go, and then take it back. 
He doesn't hide his forgiveness back in it. He doesn't stuff it in a closet in the back only to, to bring it out again when he wants to bring it out because, oh, that's right, you messed up again. Let me get, remember this? No, he forgives. He doesn't partially forgive. Look at verse three. Verse three. He, speaking of the Lord, who forgives all your iniquity. All your iniquity. Now, before we go on, do you know what the word means in the original language? All. All your iniquities. Every single one. Not one, again, not one put on the shelf, only to take out again all of them. Verse 4 tells us, He redeems your life from the pit. Skip to verse 10, where He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Can I say amen to that? Because I'd be toast. I'd be a little charcoal spot, ashes on this stage if I was dealt with according to my iniquities. But he does not do that. Then in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's great news. That is outstanding news. That is the best news that I could ever give or we could ever receive. But we need to make sure of something. When reading these truths, I suppose that someone could say, well, that just must mean that God overlooks my sins. God overlooks my transgressions. God overlooks what we haven't done. He must be like Santa Claus, knowing that we've been bad all year, and just because he's jolly, he wants to give, be nice to us and give us a present. No, he is not like that. Throughout this series, we've looked at what the Scriptures say about God. He is not an old grandpa sitting on a rocking chair, rocking in his chair, forgetting that we have sinned against him. God is who the Scriptures declare He is, and He must respond because of His character, His attributes. When we say that God forgives completely, full, final, and complete, it's in the context of God's character. He does not or cannot overlook sin. He will not, cannot condone sin. Why? Because He is holy. He's sinless. Let that sink. He's holy and He's sinless. And He's just. He will not and cannot dismiss sin. Even yours. Now that's a problem. Not for God, but for me and for you. Because we have all broken God's law. And the punishment for doing that is death. 
It doesn't matter whether it be murder or the smallest, smallest lie. In God's world, it's one and done. We might say to ourselves, well, that doesn't seem fair. I'm not as bad as he or she, but I have news for you. It doesn't matter what you think. Think about that. It doesn't matter what you think. It's what God thinks. We're not masters of our own world. Well, being masters of our own world, we might want to ignore the truth. We, we, we often live lies. Well, I'm just not going to think about it. We live lives that distract ourselves from the fact that we're sinners. Well, how so? Well, some of you, some of you work out. You're going to work yourself and build your bodies up. I know you're going, what are you talking about? You're distracting yourself. If I, I'm, I'm going to, man, if I just get that, if I get my biceps looking good, my pecs looking good, oh, it's leg day, I don't want to miss that one, but, well, we chase after things, hobbies and vices, we work. Yes, work can be a distraction, even caring for others, throwing yourself totally into caring for somebody else. But when we lay our head down at night, stop and ponder and really think and assess our lives, we know that we have sinned. And we know that we don't measure up to perfection. And because of that, God must punish sin. And listen, if he, if he does forgive, and he does, it can't be because he's chosen to overlook the transgression. And it really doesn't matter who you are. You know, this time of year, if you, I, I suppose it's still in the papers, I don't read the papers that often anymore. Get the news on the internet, and you see all these things, and basically, who has left us this year? Who's passed away? And it runs down, most of the time, they're celebrities, and some of them, very old, and you know the basic statement, they were still alive? I thought they died in the 1980s. Or some who are very, very young, and you're going, my goodness. They were before their time. Well, we might think, oh, they died too soon. Or this person had it all. They had everything that a person could ever want, that a human could ever desire. And in the end, it doesn't really matter if they had gained the whole world. Christ said that if you don't have him, you've lost it. If you didn't have forgiveness, I know this is very a simple statement. If they didn't have forgiveness, forgiveness, they weren't forgiven. They left it all. 
They lost their soul. We can't just look at a baby in a manger and do a partial nod to the historicity of the event, the cuteness of the baby, the awe. We have to understand the whole story. What happened? What happened in the story? Because Isaiah continues it. He goes on where he said, he is the one described as being pierced for our transgressions, bruised, crushed for our iniquities. And the Lord laid up on him the iniquity of us all. And by his wounds we are healed. The gospel writers and the rest of the New Testament explains what happened even more clearly. They say this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Well, that's good. But even more succinctly, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? Remember your sin problem? The death penalty that hangs over each and every one of us? Christ took it. The Son took it. The Son who loves you like a father. God in Christ did the unthinkable. A prominent pastor put it this this way, and I quote, he covered himself in shame so that we might be covered in glory. That all of the accusing load of my rebellion and my self-satisfied, self-focused living is nailed to the cross, and it's nailed to the cross once and for all, and it needs no repetition, nor does it have to be supplemented by human endeavor. It is perfect because the Messiah is perfect. It cleanses perfectly the most darkened, fearful, and troubled conscience. That's what our God does. The everlasting Father forgives completely. Second, He knows us completely. He made you. He designed you. And He understands everything about you. And when we really think about that, we go, "Uh uh-oh. Really? That can be a scary thought. But it needn't be. Look at verse 14 in Psalm 103. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's not a very nice thing to say about me. Yeah, it is. It's what we're made from. I'll explain it in a couple of ways. And I have experience and had experience with both. When you have a car, whether it be old or whether it be new, it comes with an owner's manual. If you don't have one, you can always get one online. But the new cars, they come with an owner's manual. And you open that thing up, and it 
four or 500 pages of everything you would want to know about your car. What it tells you, what viscosity of oil you need to use, what your air pressure needs to be, your viscosity, you guys are going, what in the world is that? Sorry, I actually knew something that, that didn't have to be explained. That's how thick the oil is, okay? It tells us everything we need to do, the maintenance schedules, and when the tires need to be rotated so that we can get the most out of our car, the most out of everything that we have. It explains which practices are what's best. Well, we have that here in front of us, God's Word. The second thought, I've also bought perishable items that have a certain shelf life. And that shelf life often runs out when you get it and you put it in your refrigerator. And at night you want to go, oh, I'm ready for that glass of milk. And you look, oh, yeah, I think this, this milk still must be good. And you pour it. Ew. And milk has a sell-by date, too. You know, some products just last longer, and some are very short. They have a short lifespan. Do you realize a human being is that way as well? We have a sell-by date. We have an expiration date waiting. And some folks are very worried about their shelf life. They're worried about their expiration date. Some, in fact, are so totally engrossed in that. They even live in fear. Others ignore this. But if you know God, if you know his son, Jesus, the one who loves you and knows you completely, there's no need to worry. He's given you the owner's manual. He knows what you need. He understands when you're, when you're going to pass away. Nothing's going to happen until he allows you to go. And blessed are the death of his saints. He loves you. A favorite psalm of mine declares in I love this one. Psalm 139, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. He knew what was going to happen before I was even born. The same is for you. He knows you. Do you fear death? Do you fear living the life that God has asked you to live? He knows you and loves you as an everlasting father. The same psalm declares this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God knows you. The everlasting Father forgives us completely, knows us completely, and finally, He loves us without end. And because I'm a country music guy, He loves us without end. Amen. We understand that God is love, He overflows with love. It's why we have life even when we don't deserve it. Verse 8 explains it this way. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's his love that brings us to repentance. We would not even consider God unless he called us, unless he quickened our spirit within us. We're dead in our sins, but he has made us alive together in Christ. Verse 17 says this in Psalm 103. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. This means he binds himself to you. It's God's reputation. He loves you. You're his. You are his very own family, a real forever family. What everlasting Father means is God is a God who loves you and seeks you out. He's done this by sending his Son, giving us a Son who will forgive you completely, not holding your sins against you, knows you completely, understanding your deepest needs, and will provide that you, what you need, which is himself. And this everlasting Father will love you forever without end. Which brings us to the question, why does it matter? I'll try to sum it up this way. This past Wednesday night, had the opportunity to speak to 14 kids from the ages of 12, or excuse me, 2 to 12, 14 of them. And before their, ki- their parents picked them up, we sat down on the floor, and I got, got to quiz them. Actually, I got to ask them one question. This is killing time, but it was, it was good. It's kind of neat when you have a little kid sitting on her sister's lap and then the other sisters are, you know, sisters and brothers, they're all interacting there and it's a neat thing. And I asked them one question and each one of them answered in their own way, but each one of them had to answer. And the question was, and I quote, what do you look forward to most at Christmas? Now, Expecting this. Presents! There was, I 
you know, I th- it had to be involved opening presents, right? It, it had to be. Well, there was a little bit of that secondary. But from the youngest to the oldest, 12 out of the 14 said that they were excited to celebrate the birth of the Savior with their family. I couldn't have been more proud of their answers. And I'll tell you this, I was proud of their parents too. Because you're raising some good kids. They were excited to be with their dad, their mom, their sisters, their brothers, even more than opening gifts. And I think that that's, and I believe it's a microcosm of our greatest wants. To be a part of a family that has as its head a leader who loves us. Well, speaking of that leader, because he's like a father, he cares for his people. Because he owns eternity, he can give us eternal life. And because he loves us forever, we need not worry. And that's important for those who live on a sin-cursed planet. I know, shocker, no one lives forever. Sooner or later, we're going to find ourselves in the graveyard. We're here today, gone tomorrow. And a dead Christ will do us no good. Dying men don't need a dead Savior. But dying men need a forever undying Christ. We also need to know that he will always be there. He's not going to throw you away. He's there in your deepest, darkest moments, and he's there when it's good, too. Here's a key phrase. He's a father forever, an everlasting father. You know, as I was thinking about that, I said, that's important to me because I had a father. He's, he wasn't a father forever. He He's gone. He's been gone for, I believe, if I counted this out, 23 years. He was a good man. I loved him, but he wasn't a forever father. I'm a father to Andrew, Lane, and Michael, but I'm not an everlasting father. Someday soon I'll be gone. I'll pass away like all human fathers must do, but Jesus is an everlasting Father. And I might add, He is one who loves flawlessly. He loves perfectly. He's just who you, I, we Is he yours? Is he yours?